Well, good morning, Browncroft. Uh, it is so nice to be back, and thank you so much, Pastor Ron, for, for having me back. If you come from a family like mine, the first time someone comes to visit your home, uh, they're a visitor, but every time after that, you consider them family. Uh, and so I'm family now. I don't know if you guys know that, but I'm telling you I'm family now. Uh, so I'm, I'm so honored to be here and to be a part of the Browncroft community. Uh, so today I have the honor of kicking off our new sermon series titled, A Call to Pray. Uh, prayer is by far the most significant lesson that we can learn as a Christian. Why? Because this is how we communicate with our Father in heaven. Prayer is an instrument that he gives us to bring, the, to bring heaven here on earth. It is the ability to bring pieces and aspects of heaven here on earth. And so a lot of times we disqualify ourselves from the ministry of prayer because we think that it is a ministry for specific people, that there is overcomplication of prayer, or that you have to have this amazing vernacular vocabulary to be able to pray efficiently and effectively. But today I'm here to tell you that you're all called to pray. And so I'm so excited about this sermon series and I would really admonish you guys to learn as much as you can about prayer over the next three weeks. So all over the nation, we are experiencing a labor crisis, a labor shortage. You turn on the news, you see that the school system has a shortage of bus drivers and hospitals and doctor's offices have a shortage of nurses and, and medical workers. You see everywhere, you go eat and you see that there's hiring signs all over restaurants, right? So we're seeing here all over America that there's a shortage of laborers. But this is not a new crisis to Jesus. This is an age-old problem that the kingdom of God has been experiencing for a very long time. And so I want to take you to a scripture that shows us that this labor crisis is not new. Uh, let's turn to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 34. And I'm going to go ahead and read. And it says, And Jesus went throughout all of the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, he, uh, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Jesus here is saying, hey guys, there's a labor shortage and this is a crisis. He's not saying that there's a shortage of Christians. He's saying there's a shortage of laborers. You can be a Christian without being a laborer. And so here he's not saying we need to expand the kingdom. He's saying, which is it's what he wants to do, but he's saying, no, they're actually out there. I think us as Christians here in America, we can say there are a lot of churches that are full with Christians. But we have a labor crisis. So here, here we see that Jesus went out and he saw. The scripture says he went into their cities, he went into their villages, and he preached the gospel in their synagogues. Compassion was birthed because Jesus put himself in places and positions to see and experience the need. Many times if we're struggling to be compassionate, it's because we have restricted sight. 
We're not in places where we can see people's physical, spiritual, relational needs. And so it makes it very hard for us to be compassionate because we're not amongst the people who have the need. So for Jesus to consistently be moved with compassion, he consistently put himself in connection with the people who needed the message. He didn't move himself away from them. He went into their villages and their cities. And here, as Americans, a lot of times we think that means going to Haiti, going to Africa, going overseas. But can I tell you here that we have a harvest here in Rochester. There's a mission field here in Rochester. You don't have to go overseas to see the need. It's actually here. And what happens is when you are compassionate and you have the lenses of compassion, you begin to look at the real issue and not the symptom of the issue. See, sin is not the real issue. Sin is a symptom of an underlying issue. And so here Jesus is not saying the harvest is sinful. He's saying, no, the harvest has a real issue, and that's they're, they're helpless and they're distraught because they don't have a shepherd. The real issue is not the sin. The real issue is they don't have a shepherd to walk them out of the place of sin. Unlike Jesus, a lot of times we expect for people to come to us. We expect for them to come to us, but Jesus was actually very intentional about going to them. I love how C.H. Spurgeon says that we need to see how Jesus saw and feel how Jesus felt so that we can do as Jesus did. We have to see what he's seen. We have to feel what he felt to activate us to move how he moved. So what this is telling us is that for prayer and evangelism, it takes your whole heart. You can't be compassionate. You can't evangelize. You cannot pray efficiency, uh, effectively and consistently without your whole being being put into it. So we have to see, feel, and do like Jesus. See, Jesus did not focus on seeing the sin of the people. He focused his energy on seeing the need. He seen that they were distressed because they did not have a shepherd. And again, this is where we mess up. We see someone struggling with sin. Instead of focusing on the needs that they're trying to meet through that sin, we focus on the sin itself. I also love how Jackie Hill Perry says God's salvation is God's compassion at work. That tells us, you guys, there's no salvation without compassion. There's no salvation without compassion. Salvation is God's compassion at work. Years ago, there were, and some of you guys may hear this, have heard this story before, but years ago, there were researchers that wanted to find out if seminary students were good Samaritans. All right, these are people who go to school to learn about the Bible. And so what he did was they said, hey, you're going to go to this place and you're going to teach a, a lesson on the Good Samaritan. And so while these seminary students are walking to go and teach, they planted an actor on the path and the actor would slump over and like act like he was really hurt and distressed. Half of the seminary students walked past the person to go preach about being a Good, good Samaritan. They missed an opportunity to be the message on the way to go and teach or preach. If they're like me, they spent a long time preparing for that sermon. So you prepared a sermon that hadn't hit your heart. 
And this is us every single day. We walk past the true assignment, the true assignment that has eternity as its outcome. That is the greatest outcome is eternal life. For a counterfeit task, something that has eternity not attached to it at all. So what the scripture is trying to tell us is to be more like Jesus in the sense that we put ourselves in positions to see the needs. We need to walk and think and talk and respond to people's affirmities and their lack of spiritual care. You see, Jesus did not go out into the villages, see the need and say a quick prayer. Or even better, he's not like us where he goes out and sees the need and say, hey, I'm going to add you to my prayer list and then go back home. No, he said, how about I do it right now? You're sick right now. Why, why, why would I go home and pray for your healing when I can just touch you right here, right now? Let me just deal with the lack of, of spiritual care. Let's just attend to the affliction now. Jesus did this because he knew that prayer was powerful enough to bring healing in that moment and finish the work once it started. He understood that if I say this prayer for them now, this prayer is not, it doesn't end once I leave. The prayer is going to consistently continue to do its work. So we understood that the assignment starts with prayer. The assignment is accomplished through prayer. Prayer is all throughout the assignments that Jesus calls us to. For years, I've read this scripture, you guys. I've read this scripture. It's one of my favorite. And I always ask myself, I don't understand why are the laborers few? Because anywhere I go, there are Christians all over the place. It's not like it's a dying religion. So why are the laborers few? Because here Jesus is telling us that the harvest, the sinners, the people who are in pain, the people who are, are, are broken, they're not the issue. They're not the issue, you guys. It's, it's us. They're ripe. They're ready. We see them as sinners. He sees them as an opportunity. And so what he's saying here is, hey, I don't really, I'm, I'm not dismissing them. They're not the issue. The issue is that I have a group of people who have met my love, who experience my love, who have been transformed by my love, who don't talk about my love. That is the issue. The issue is I have people who have experienced the answer who don't talk about the answer. It's not the people who have never heard or the people who reject it. It's the people who won't consistently speak and teach about my love. Instead, what we do is we label people. Instead of seeing them as the harvest, we label them. Those people, those sinners, those liberals, those conservatives. Instead of saying, no, that's God's harvest. Regardless of what I think about them or what I feel about them, that's God's harvest. And so I want to cross-reference this scripture today with another powerful scripture that we can find in Romans. Turn with me to Romans chapter 10, verse 14 through 15. How then can they hear, or how then can they call on the one who, has not, who they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? 
And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. You guys, I have amazing news for you today. If you're an extreme introvert like me, this might be a really hard pill to swallow, so it might not be the best news, but you're called to be a preacher. When somebody told me that, I was like, no, I'm not. Not me. The good news is that you don't have to be on a platform like me. Your platform could be your job. It could be your school. It could be your family. It could be your friends. But you are called to be a preacher. It's simply sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with the people around you. We're all called to do that because no one can hear the gospel if no one's preaching the gospel. The scripture tells us that. And so what I want to do is I want to give you three different points today that are going to drive home this point that we are called to pray for a burden. And again, I want you to understand that your life and your heart, it carries the good news of Jesus Christ that every single person with breath in their body deserves to hear. So the first point that I want to talk about is that there are many things that can help a person, but only one path that can save. The consistent issue, the consistent challenge or mistake that the people of Israel in the Old Testament made was always praying to a God that couldn't save. It was always the core of their their dysfunction. Everything came back to the fact that you guys are putting your trust in something that cannot save you. We do that all the time. We put our trust in things that can help us momentarily, temporarily, but it cannot save us. I'm a huge proponent of, I, I, I love telling people, hey, therapy actually works. But you know what therapy does? It heals an aspect of your soul. It does not save your spirit. It cannot be your saving grace. It can give you answers, but it cannot be the answer. Self-help books are great ways to, 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 to you know, heal your brain or, or to heal even aspects of your soul. But again, it cannot save your spirit. Prayer and the word of God bring our spirit and our souls to respond to the free gift of salvation. And sometimes as Christians, it's a lot easier to point someone to what could be a temporary idol. Hey, here's a self-help book. Just read that. Instead of being bold enough to say, no, Jesus saves. Jesus actually is the only person, you guys, that's going to save you and fix this situation. But instead, it's easier to say, hey, have you read uh, Brene Brown's Daring Greatly? It's a a really good book, though. It really is. But it's not going to save you. It's not going to save you. The second point is praying for someone releases them from your hands into God's hands. Praying for some releases them from your hands to God's hands. Over the last couple of months, I've realized that I might have somewhat of a green thumb. Like, I really like planting. And so I went on this whole spree where I, I mean, I couldn't leave a store without a plant. I would go to Wegmans and go grocery shopping and come out with a plant. I would go to Wisteria, come out with a plant. I would go to Lowe's to get firewood for a bonfire and come out with a plant. And my husband's like, what are you doing? We have way too many plants, Ashley. So now I have all these plants, and I'm still kind of an amateur at this, right? So I'm repotting and doing all this stuff that I don't really know what I'm doing. And I start realizing some of my plants are dying because I'm overlooking them because I have too many, I grew way too fast. So now I have 20 plants and I'm like, I gotta get rid of like half of these (laughs) because they're gonna die. I, I, I don't have the time to cultivate them all. So I start calling people that I love and I trust. I say, hey, do you want this spider plant? 
It's ready to be propagated. Come get it. And so I start putting the plants in hands of people that I trust. And so many times what we see is we start to do the same thing in the spiritual. We take on way too many assignments and we try to hover around them to see if they're growing. But honestly, the great thing about it is we can be in relationship with people and then drop them off in Jesus' hands through prayer. I don't have, to, I don't have to, to steward over you and see if you're growing. All I have to do is be consistent in praying for you. Because a moment in God's hands, you put them in God's hands, he can do more than you could ever do for them. And so there's a relief in understanding that. Turn to me for a second to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 through 9. And I, I just love this scripture. It says, I planted the seed in your heart, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It is not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters works together for the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers and are God's field. You are God's building. This is beautiful. One plants, one waters, God multiplies. And what does it look like to plant seeds? It's just seeds of kindness, seeds of truth. And then guess what you can do? You can walk away trusting that God's going to bring Apollos who's going to come and water it. And that might look like mentorship or discipleship. Because let's be honest, we don't have the capacity to mentor and disciple everybody that we have a heart for. That's where trusting God comes in and says, I'm going to plant this seed. I'm going to walk away and I'm going to trust that you're going to bring somebody to water it. It's such a relief. You're not responsible for growing God's people. His sovereignty is perfect. His will is perfect. He will do with them more than you ever can. And the third point, which is, <laughs> I always say it's my favorite, but I wrote it, right? So they're all my favorite. <laughs> Everyone is qualified for prayer. It is not restricted to your preferences. Everyone is qualified for prayer. It is not restricted to your preferences. Now, our major roadblock to being Christian or to bringing Christ to everyone and praying for God's people is that we believe that there are prerequisites to our prayers. There are prerequisites for people who deserve prayer. Typically, you have to think like us. You have to, you have to kind of align with us and in your beliefs and your doctrine. You can't offend us because if you offend us, well, I'm not praying for you if you offend me, right? And the truth of the matter is the more you offend me, the more I should pray for you. This isn't, a, this isn't limited to people that I like or, or people that think like me or act like me or look like me. It's not restricted to your preferences. We don't get to make that decision. When we do, we're putting ourselves in a judgment seat, which is a very dangerous seat to be in. I don't know about any of you guys, but I don't want God's job. Like, he can have it. I would be horrible at it. it I, we wouldn't do it well. So I try my hardest to make sure that I'm not doing God's job, which is his job to judge. It's my job to pray. I want to tell you guys two quick stories. Um, at the Hope Center, we, we love collaboration and partnership. So we're always bringing in people, learn more about their work, and see if they'll be a good partner. And I, my prerequisite is I don't, I don't demand that everybody be a Christian to partner with me. It's my mission field. 
And so we had two young ladies that came in recently, and they have a group of, of young ladies that really help watch infants, and it's like emergency daycare. And they came in, and they were like looking at our church, and they was like, this is so beautiful. What denomination are you guys? And I was like, oh, we're non-denominational. Oh, cool. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, so you guys are like universalists. It's spiritual. It's all gods, right? Um, no. <laughs> I said, no, not at all. Actually, it's Jesus. We believe in Jesus here. I said it like three times because I needed to drive this point home so that she didn't leave confused at all. No, we're Jesus, full Jesus. I believe in Jesus. We preach Jesus. We live Jesus. We, I mean, eat, sleep, and breathe Jesus here. She's like, oh, okay. Okay, cool. And do you guys know that I'm looking forward to the next time I get to see her? Because I'm not cutting her off because she's a universalist. Like, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next time that I get to tell her more about Jesus. As if the first 50 times I said his name during our 30-second interaction wasn't enough, I'm looking forward to doing it again. I remember a few years ago I was working at a shelter for kids that have been abused, run away, experiencing homelessness. And there was a young man there that was really struggling with his gender identity. He was really, really struggling. And for some reason, he was just very much attached, attracted to me. He would come into my office and just sit. And I remember one time he came in, and he had this wig that he was trying on. He came in, and he was like, Miss, can you fix my hair? And I was like, absolutely, sit down. So I started taking his hair out, and I have a cross. I have tattoos all over me, but most of them are crosses or different sayings. And he sees, a, he sees my cross tattoo, and he says, Miss, you're a Christian? I was like, I am. And he looked at me so confused. He said, why are you so nice to me? And I said, because I'm a Christian. Because I love Jesus. I can't love Jesus without loving you. And what that did was it opened up a door for me to hear about his abuse and to hear about why he struggles the way that he struggles. And for the rest of my life, you guys, I don't think I'll ever forget that interaction. If he does not have anybody praying for him, I'm committed to praying for him every single time I think about him. But you have to sit back and you have to ask yourself, when you hear about the universalist and you hear about the young man struggling with his gender identity, you have to ask yourself, what was their interactions with other Christians? What was their experience with Christianity that made my kindness foreign to them? It's sobering. If we engage the ungodly, they get to see Jesus. That's the only way they see Jesus is if we bring them, bring him to them. It takes something it takes something that we, that we see someone's brokenness. It takes us to actually see their brokenness, put a face to it, put a story to it, for us to be moved with compassion. I'm a firm believer that there is not a single story here on earth that you will not hear that won't move you to compassion. If you sit down, you take time to know somebody, you hear their story, you will find place in your heart to be compassionate. But we have restricted sight because we're not always engaging. We're not out engaging the harvest. But 
to be honest, if we really face it, you guys, and I'll be honest, it's a lot easier to be judgmental. Isn't it? I mean, it it takes no specific skill set, no level of brilliance, no hard work. You don't have to memorize any scriptures. It's easy to judge. It's the easiest thing to do is to pin your narrative on someone and to walk away. But it does take hard work to decide, you know what, I'm not going to stop praying for this person until they're changed. That takes commitment. I'm not going to get up off my knees praying for this person until they meet Jesus, until they know him, until they know of his love. That takes hard work. That takes bravery. That takes courage. It takes faith. It takes understanding God's grace and his mercy. But many times we choose the easier route, which is judging. So what do we do with this? It's simple, you guys. We pray for a burden. We pray for a burden. And we have to understand that prayer takes three different things. The first is it takes passion for God's people. Have you guys ever met somebody that's like, oh, I pray, and they're so disgruntled? It's like, how, how are you so mean and you pray so much? <laughs> like, it just, it's not adding up. You actually have to have a passion for God's people, right? That's why it's called compassion. It's a passion that moves you to be compassionate about someone and about their lives and about them meeting and knowing God. This allows us to exercise that compassion. The second one, and this is a difficult one, It takes stamina to keep going when results seem delayed. Prayer is not a magic trick. It's not, I'm going to pray this, I'm going to pray it, and everything's going to get better. Matter of fact, sometimes when you pray, it seems like things get worse. Stamina. It takes stamina. It takes you saying, you know what? I don't care what things look like. I'm not going to stop praying until I see God's will manifest in this area of my life. I'm not going to stop. And many times what you hear somebody say is, I was praying, but it wasn't working. No, it was working. Prayer was doing the work. You stopped before it came into completion. The scripture is very simple when it tells us that. It's very straightforward when it says that God's word will not return back to him void. This means that if you put the prayer out and it's in alignment with God's will, it it has to get done. Just It may not be on your time scale. And if you're type A like me, you, you, got, you got goals. Like, you know, this is, this is how I want this to look. But God's will will sometimes wreck that. And I don't know that God has ever wrecked my life and I didn't like it. Maybe it didn't always feel good. But every single, God, every single time God decided to take my timetable and change it around, it was for my good. Never harmed me. The third thing is that submission to God's perfect will for our lives. Prayer takes submission to God's perfect will for our lives. We see this in the humanity of Jesus when he's in the garden right before he goes to the cross. He starts praying, and he's praying what we would call kind of a carnal prayer. It's his, it's his will. Take this cup. I don't want it. We've all prayed those type of prayers. God, remove this person from my life. No, minister to them. They're not going anywhere. <laughs> It's those, it's those prayers where it's our will, but what happens is we see Jesus make this switch. And I believe that was the Holy Spirit doing his work, saying, you know what? But even though this is how I feel, even though this is what I want, God, let your will be done. We have to understand that in prayer. 
So for the rest of this, this series, I want to challenge you for the next three weeks to lean into the ministry and the beauty of prayer. Pray for a burden. So I want you to do three simple things. The first thing I want you to, and it's not simple. Well, I'll take that back. Three things, three maybe hard things. The first thing I want for you to do is engage an unbeliever. Tell them about Jesus. Pray for them on the spot. Do you guys know how you become more comfortable praying? By praying. <laughs> it's not by thinking about it or talking about it or even hearing sermons about it. It's by actually doing it. And you might be like me where you're like, okay, I'm a little uncomfortable. Like in the beginning when I first started kind of like exercising this prayer muscle, I was like, I'm really nervous praying for people on the spot. What if I say the wrong thing? So for those of you who are a little nervous about praying for people on the spot, then do this. Tell someone that you're going to pray for them. Go home, pray for them. Hear God for them and then go back and tell them what God says. Right? So you can say, hey, I'm going to be praying for you this week. And then at the end of the week, you go back and say, hey, so this week, like I told you, I was going to pray for you. I was praying for you. And God wanted me to remind you that he hasn't forgotten about you. That God wanted me to remind you that those, those dreams that you had as a little girl, he hasn't forgotten about them. That he wants to heal your heart. That's a great way of exercising that prayer muscle. The second thing that I want you to do is I want for you to go back to an unanswered prayer. This is going to be hard for some of you guys. Many of you guys were praying for something for a very long time. You gave up on it because you did not see it come back. You didn't see it answered. I want you to go back to that prayer. Pick it back up. Start again. Oh, I just heard a sigh. Somebody's like, oh. And again, for some of you guys that might be hard, you might be thinking, nope, nope, I'm not doing that one. Because I prayed for my mom to stop drinking, and as soon as I prayed for her to stop drinking, she started drinking even more. I prayed for my mom and my dad for their relationship to be restored, and as soon as I started praying, they told me they were getting a divorce. Ashley, I'm not doing that prayer thing, because every single time I do, things seem like they get worse. I want you to be brave enough to commit to praying again. Pick those things back up. And the third thing that I want for you to do is pray for someone that you might not prefer. That those group of people that you kind of try to stay away from, get on your knees this week and pray for them. Those group of people that offend you because of their ideologies or what they think or what they believe, pray for them this week. Pray for someone that you do not prefer. And the beautiful thing about prayer is that while you're praying, it's a two-edged sword. It's working on their behalf, but it's also working on your behalf. If there's a group of people that you have a hard time being tender towards, pray. That is the purpose of prayer. It is to make your heart tender and to keep your heart tender. So this week, for this whole sermon series, and my prayer is that for the rest of your life, we are going to prioritize and commit to the ministry of prayer. You have to ask yourself, what would America look like if all believers prioritized prayer? We would be a powerful, a powerful force that could not, couldn't fail. So the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So what are we going to do? We're going to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send the laborers. And that's you. So let's pray. 
Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you right now, God, that you are the Lord of the harvest. We thank you, Father, that it is not our responsibility to grow people, but it is our responsibility to be kind to them, to plant seeds of truth, to water the gardens that you've started, and that you will get them, you will multiply them. Now, Father, we ask you that over this next couple of weeks that you purify our hearts so that we can pray the perfect will of the Father. We ask that you give us stamina to do the work of the ones who were sent. We know that you are sending us. And I thank you, Father, that people under the sound of my voice that know that they are sent will be obedient and they will go. They will be like you and walk amongst the harvest and heal the afflicted, heal the broken, heal those in pain. And I thank you, Father, that for that reason alone that the harvest is in good hands. We ask, Father, right now that you give us compassion to be like Jesus so that we can see like he's seen, so that we can feel like he felt, and Father, so that we can be like Jesus. In the matchless name of Jesus Christ, amen and amen.